I've noticed in the last few years, there's my hair pre-COVID and my hair post-COVID. Have you any ever, have the other people noticed that? Like, I didn't have much gray hair before COVID. But now every picture I see of myself, whoa, he's getting gray. He's really getting gray. And that's because these days, if you feel like they're especially intense, they are. They are. We, uh, we don't even have people fall asleep in church much anymore. That's how intense these times are. And uh, there are some of you who are exceptions, but uh, you're not the norm. And that's what makes today's talk really, really vital. We're walking through the second letter to Timothy, a young emerging leader in the city of Ephesus, which we now call, it's in the area what we call Turkey now. And uh, we're so glad you're here today for part two. If you missed part one last week, we started, we kicked off this walk through 2 Timothy. You can go back and look at that. I understand that we had a little delay coming online today, so we want to welcome all of you who have come online a little bit later today. And, and those PJs look great. Those look awesome on you. Um, but a couple things. One is Spooky Brook coming up, so give your candy in the name of Jesus, okay? So make sure you do that. Just bring in your candy. There's a big old bucket out there that is a baptismal, and it's a bucket of candy. Oh, it's just both. Like, we're around here, we really utilize things uh, for holy purposes, and uh, we want you to, to do that. And, and as, as you'll hear me say today, I mean, it's a great, it's, it's what we call one event. I'll explain that in a minute, where it's a great opportunity to just bring a friend that you've been praying for, and uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty low challenge event, but it's a, an opportunity to get somebody on campus. Uh, I also want to say this, we have a $4 million goal to, to raise, to renovate this place and turn it into a place that students are walking through these doors throughout the week all the time, and uh, two weeks ago after Austin preached, we had a $200,000 commitment made. Yep, and that's huge because I, I, I want you to know that uh, we don't take that lightly, but we're only $230,000 away from reaching our goal. So if you, yeah, if you say, you know what, the Lord has he's been working on me, and I know if I don't ask, you don't know. I mean, many of you think this place just hums along without you. It doesn't. You know, it just doesn't. It's, it's your $20. If that's what you can do is you give up pizza. Uh, you give that up, or you can make that $200,000 gift. And uh, this gentleman said, you know what? I'm one of those people who could do that $200,000 thing, and I didn't want to shortchange God or my journey, and uh, that's how it works. And I know many of you are in the $20 range. That's fine. We need you because you'd be surprised how that $20 adds up, and we want you to be a part of that as we just uh, prepare this church for the future of emerging leaders. Real quick. Real quick on this note, listen to these. Men's and women's ministry, marriage mentor program, pastoral counseling, student ministries and Southbrook Kids Players Box, City Lights, volunteer teams in Southbrook Kids Safety, Creative Arts, and our Hero Maker program that provides mentoring. All of those are opportunities for you to say, in light of today's content, I'm going to take the step into those areas, one of those areas. And so if you have a question today, you can go to the information table about any of those as you listen to this content. Because listen to me, I'm speaking to a number of audiences today, but I want to be really direct to those of you. How many of you, raise your hand, if you've been a follower of Christ for 10 years or more, raise your hand. If you're not mentoring someone, you are missing it. You're missing it, and you need today. 
You need to listen to this content today. Because this isn't cozy. This is high challenge today because of the generation emerging. It needs, it needs mentoring in the name of Christ. There is that magnus, magnus opus of baby boomer angst slash midlife crisis called City Slickers. Anybody ever seen that work of art of baby, baby boomer angst? And Billy Crystal playing Mitch Robbins, he, he's just in the middle of this midlife crisis and he stands up in front of his second grade class of his son and he, he's supposed to pass on his wisdom. And he says, value this time in your life while you can, kids, because this is the time when you still have choices and it goes by so fast. I mean, he's just a bubble of energy. And he says, uh, you, when you're a teenager, you think you can do anything and you do. Your 20s are a blur. Your 30s, you raise your family, you make a little money, and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? And then your 40s come along, and you grow a little pot belly, and you grow a second chin, and the music starts getting too loud, and one of your girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. And then in your 50s, you have a minor surgery. You call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. It's a surgery. That's too personal there. Uh, your 60s, you'll have a major surgery. The music's still too loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anymore anyway. <laughs> your 70s, you and your wife retire to Fort Lauderdale. You start having dinner around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> breakfast at 10 in the morning, or lunch at 10 in the morning. Breakfast the night before, and you start wandering around the mall looking for the ultimate soft yogurt. That's how you spend your days. And in your 80s, you have a major stroke, and you end up babbling with some Jamaican nurse your wife can't stand, but you call mama. Any questions? And... <laughs> And the kids just sit there like, what just happened? What just happened? And I don't want you to sit there today going, what just happened? But I do want you to hear how critical it is that you understand the gospel is only one generation from not being transmitted. And you're that generation. And if you don't listen to this today, if you're not really getting intentional then there's a whole generation that will miss it. Uh, I have a f dear friend who's a local high school football coach, and he uh, texted me after last week's service where I said, who's your one? Who's that one person that you're praying for and you're, 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 you're at some point, or maybe you already have, talked to them about a relationship with Christ? And he texted me after a service. He said, my takeaway from this morning is, before I came to church this morning, I was in our staff meeting. We have 13 coaches on our staff, good men, good men. They are in it for the right reasons, helping others. They're compassionate. But of those 13, only three of us were going to go to church after our meeting today. That's not good. And your message is spot on. These are good people who lead, who care, and they don't have God in their lives at all. As believers, we have to spread the word. I said, would you mind if I share this text? And he said, sure. And then he continued, but is the ratio of our room an accurate representation of our society? Do only 25% of people have God in their lives? Maybe they celebrate Christmas or Easter, but does it not, does it not influence and take any priority for 75% of our culture? If so, our society is moving further and further from God. And I responded to him, and here's my response. I said, actually, that's about right. It's about right. When it comes to faith, a faith that is affective, 
Not just, you know, I, I, yeah, I was baptized when I was a baby and I'm a Christian culturally. No, a faith that is vibrant and affective. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. And I said, for example, at funerals, you used to see faith bouncing back to you when you were standing up there. Not anymore. It does, it, there's just not much faith bouncing back to you when you're at that moment of eulogy. And this is why emerging leaders are critical. Some of you have questioned player's box. Why? You know why player's box? It's ultimately, it's a leadership development tool. It's not just to help kids fall, not fall down the cliff of emotional despair. It's also to say, listen, we have something and we want to pass it on to you. Now you go pass it on to someone else. Everybody here, everybody here who is either a follower of Jesus or aspires to be, you need three types of people in your life. Everybody needs a Paul, everybody needs a Barnabas, and everybody needs a Timothy. A Paul is someone who's ahead of you, and you're, you're, you're looking to them and saying, mentor me, help me. A Barnabas, in, in the words of the scriptures, the son of encouragement, you, you, people who are your peers, that are alongside of you in the company of Christ, and then those that you're intentionally influencing because you've sensed that they want what you have. And if that's the case, then you, you gotta have that. Now, what, what this text that today we're gonna look at is about, is about passing this on to a young man named Timothy, as you heard already. So look at these words that Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter two. And what I'm gonna do right now is just shove a big 26 ounce steak down your throat and then we're going to pull from that a few nutrients that we need to make application of today. Okay, so, so 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Paul says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You be strong. Really interesting thing on this. We think of grace as a soft virtue. He says, be strong in grace. You know why that is? You know why the strongest people in the world are, are fueled by grace? Grace doesn't waste time on resentment and energy. Grace doesn't waste time on trying to impress people. Grace doesn't waste time going down paths of, of self-actualization because it realizes, hey, I've already been approved in Christ by his grace, that's enough. My resume's not gonna improve through performance, I'm enough. It's amazing how the most efficient people in the world are fueled by grace. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say, look at this, there are three generations, maybe four you could say in this, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses in trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So right there you have three to four generations of effect. He says, you heard me, pass it on to people who seem teachable, who then you make sure that they know they've gotta have people that they're passing it on to. And the implication here is, if you've been a follower, I'm just being safe, it really ought to be if you've been a follower of Jesus for, for a year, but if you've been a follower of Jesus for 10 years and you're not doing that, you're missing it. You're missing it. You become a swamp where the water flows in, but it doesn't go anywhere. And, and this, this is the surest way to become a grouchy fart of a Christian, okay? Like a grouchy just, you know, is I know what I believe is the surest way is missing that. Missing that. 
And then he says this, join with me, remember he said this last week, in suffering, and he uses three images. Like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. And this is the imagery of if a soldier wants to win a battle, they don't say, oh, I don't have time to do what you're asking me to do, my commanding officer. I'm going shopping this week. Wait a minute. <laughs> you know, I'm going to a ball game this week. I don't have time to obey you. Any of you ever served in the military? That Does that, does that fly? It doesn't fly, does it? That the command of your officer takes precedent over what you want to do. When, when he or she wants you to do it, it's not a matter of, of do you jump, it's how high. Then anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. In the Olympic Games back then, they had training rules. It wasn't just the rules of competition. It was the rules preceding the competition. And if you did not follow those training rules, you were exempted from the competition. You don't follow the training rules. And uh, my son, our grandson, Gunnar, is swimming. He's swimming right now. And so to kind of get him going the other night, Austin said that they watched uh, videos of Michael Phelps. And uh, he said it was so impressive, as Michael Phelps said, there's one thing that separates achieving athletes from others. They do it when they don't feel like it. They do it. They get in the water on a cold February morning in, in where he trained in Michigan, and, and they do it when they don't feel like it. They, they follow the lead of their trainer, their coach, when they don't feel like it. Then he gives a third image. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. So a farmer, you ever know somebody who's a dairy farmer that says, you know what, I just don't feel like milking the cows today. I'm just tired. I stayed up late last night binging on the Game of Thrones, and I just don't feel like getting up and milking the cows. What is it? Anybody ever here ever been around a dairy farmer? It's 4.30 in the morning, baby. It doesn't matter how cold. doesn't matter... You're up milking the cows. That's the only way you're going to receive the reward of being a farmer. Reflect on what I'm saying. The Lord will give you insight into all this. Like, think this through. And if you need anything else, he says, remember Jesus Christ. Two things. Risen from the dead. This is our motivation. A descendant of David, which is code for fully human. Fully human. And the divine risenness reality entered, entered into him. This is my good news, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. This is so cool. Are any of you in circumstances right now that you don't want to be in? It's amazing how God can use that to pass on the gospel to someone else. It's amazing. Literally, this was happening while Paul was in prison. What was he doing? Writing what we call the prison epistles, and we call them much of the New Testament now. Amazing. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. And that doesn't mean those who were picked by God because they're special. It means people who have responded to God drafting them, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And this is really cool because this is the part of a hymn that was sung in the early church. Here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we'll also live with him. And literally people that day were dying. If we endure, we will also reign with him. That's a wonderful promise. 
if we disown him, he will also disown us. Now remember this. People say, would God ever send someone to eternal separation from him? No. God will give people what they wanted. If you don't want God, he's not going to infringe upon your human volition to say, well, whether you want me or not, you got me forever. No. If we disown him, say, God, I don't want you. He's not, something doesn't magically change when you die. But look at this. If we are faithless, in other words, there's not an intentional, no, God, but we're frail and we fail, he'll remain faithful. Isn't that amazing? He says, so all you got to do is take that step toward God, even when you can't live it out perfectly, he remains faithful. The grip of grace is like this. It's your grip and God's grip, and when your grip doesn't work, guess what his grip does? It never fails. It never fails. And so look at this, look at this. He says, keep reminded God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. And now now we have gone to meddling into people's lives in America. Quarreling about words. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. In other words, you don't do that. You don't debase your existence by quarreling about things that really don't matter. A worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Don't get into arguments with people about God and about government and about sports and all those things. Avoid godless chatter. Now now we're, look at this. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. That's the sermon in a sentence that I want you to see. Hold on to that. We're coming back to that in a minute. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Woo! Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place. There was a Gnostic heresy that said, we don't have to worry about accountability to God. The final resurrection of the dead has already happened and now live like you want. Jesus has saved us. It doesn't matter how you live. And so they were spreading this teaching that there's really no accountability, that Jesus' grace means that you can live like you want. It was actually uh, an influence of a Greek philosophy. And they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. And I want you to look at your life today, Southbrooker, and think of this imagery. Take any house. There are articles only of, not only of gold and silver, but in wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the ladder will be instruments for special purposes. What's the ladder? Of their lives not having the character that it takes to be of maximum usefulness to God. Made holy, separate, set apart for a purpose, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. Now you can see as we walk through that, that this chapter is the character chapter. This is where Paul, knowing that these are his final words that he will write, we'll see that in chapter 4 as he does his sign-off, final words we would certainly hear from the Apostle Paul in his writings. And he's saying, Timothy, there are two things in life. There's your competency and there's your character. And right here he's drilling down into Timothy. Make sure you have the character that sustain when life's not going the way you want it to go, you're still faithful to the gospel. 
you're still faithful. Because today, we see this all over the place with celebrities, especially celebrity pastors, celebrity politicians. Low character will undermine your influence long before low competency. Am I right? How many people we've seen, especially politicians who really aren't that talented, But they're there, and they are where they are, and what eventually brings them down is not their low talent. It's just their low character. We see it all the time. Uh, I was, we were at Athletes in Action this week with, with Players Box, and, and there's, there's a, an academy team they have there that is trying to bring, they're trying to bring these kids from all over the world to play basketball and having some character issues. And I said this. I said, guys, listen, 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 listen. Let's look, I want you to look at this matrix. High competency, high character, low character, low competency. In this quadrant right here, high competency, low character, just write the word J-E-R-K. That's usually the jerk. They're very gifted, but they don't have very strong character, not very deep character. I said in this one, if this is you here at Athletes in Action Players Academy, low competency, low character, just write the word bye-bye because you're not going to be around long. You're not, you're not really working hard at basketball, and your character isn't developing either. Bye-bye. We'll see you, because you're not going to be around here very long. But if you're low competency, meaning you're not really getting better at basketball, but your character is deep, you know what I want you to see here is write the word opportunity. You'll be given opportunities. You'll, I said, what do, you, what do you see in that? And one of the boys from Los Angeles raised his hand and said, oh, leash. I'll be given a leash. I said, that's right. You'll be given grace. Because even though maybe you're not that skilled, every coach looks at a player that has character and says, I'm going to give her a chance. I'm going to give him a chance. And then, I, you know, obviously, what, what, what you get here is you get the chance to grow in competency and character. This is so important to every one of us who are going to affect the emerging generation. Does my character have the tensile strength to support my increasing competencies? Because as you go through life... You're going through stages where your competencies, your salary, your income, your influence are increasing. But what eventually brings people down is they're like that oak tree in the middle of the town square that looked wonderful, but on the inside it was rotting, and one day a wind blew it over. Not because it didn't look great on the outside. Not because it didn't have the leaves and the beauty that people love to hang around in the town square, but because on the inside it didn't have the developing character to sustain the height of the tree. Every single one of us have to hear this truth. Does my character have the tinsel strength to support my increasing competencies? This is why, look at verse 22, look at verse 22. The next thing Paul says, Timothy, this is why I want you to flee the evil desires of youth. What is that? In simplicity, it's misappropriated money, misappropriated sex, misappropriated power. The three things that will actualize you in this culture quicker than anything else is financial strength, sexual strength, and influence strength. You just flee that. Don't make that the focus of your life. Run from the misuse of those things. Run. Like Joseph running from Potiphar's house, and he ran so fast he lost his outer cloak. Like run from that. Don't use porn. Don't use it. Like run from that. Why? Because it's just rotting the inside of your character. It is. Don't, don't. And then pursue giving people in God their right due. 
That's what righteousness is. Loyalty to the things that are most endearing and ennobling in life. Bringing out the best in other people. Living life in a way that is for the good of others, even when you don't feel like it. And being the person of peace in any situation. And along with all those who call the Lord out of a pure heart, not by yourself, but you're doing this in the context of your Paul, your Barnabas, your Timothy. And, and see, what he's telling Timothy is no one drifts into deep character. Like you don't wake up one day and go, gee whiz, I am so mature. How did that happen? How did that happen? I am so deep. I mean, the roots of my healthy tree run so deep. How did that happen? Nobody does that. It is an act of intentional pursuit, deepening character, repeated intentionality. And my small group this week, I asked the question, what, guys, because all of us are 50 or above. I said, what's one thing you would do differently if you had to do it again? What's one thing that you would do again? And one of our guys, Aaron Matson, said, you know, one thing I would do, and he's a marathon runner, and he's a disciplined prayer and reader of scripture, the five S's. And he goes, what I would do again are those little things that I do every day that don't seem significant in and of themselves, but they stack up. Those little boring things every day, time of solitude every day, time of scripture every day, making sure I intentionally serve every day, make sure I'm in supportive relationships, making sure I process significant events. There's little things every day, and they add up. So Paul says, Timothy, that's you. That's you. Work on your character. Now look at this. You picked it up already. Avoid godless chatter because godless chatter leads to a godless life. Watch your conversation to evaluate your character. This is really powerful because this, in this chapter on character, do you know what he talks about the most? How you converse. How you talk. That's right. How you talk reveals and directs your character. There's this passage in James chapter 5 where it really summarizes what Jesus taught. James was the brother of Jesus, so he said a lot of things. He just, he just, he just copied from his brother. He was guilty of plagiarism. Uh, and uh, a lot of things he said he, t- he took from his brother Jesus. And he says, when we talk about your conversation, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Though they're so large, driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue, like a bit, like a rudder, is a small part of the body. But like a bit and a rudder, relative to the size of the horse and the size of the boat, it is the most powerful instrument in your life. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. How many of you have ever set on fire a relationship because of something you said. Oh. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Whoa! You know what he's saying there? He's saying, listen, do not underestimate. He's saying what Paul's telling Timothy here. Don't underestimate the power of your words, the power of your words to reflect your character and direct your character. How we talk says who we are. And if, you tell, if, you tell, if I tell you what I'm reading, what I'm watching, and how I'm talking, I'm telling you, you can tell where I'm going to be in five years. Because why? 
especially how we talk, it reflects who we are now and it directs where we're going. That's why he says, Timothy, don't get pulled into godless chatter. Don't get pulled into talk that is futile and empty and coarse. Don't, don't, get, don't get drawn into that. And if you want to know the condition of your character, don't listen to yourself when you plan to say what you said. Listen to yourself when you said when you didn't plan on saying it. Because that really tells you the condition of your character. Like, I can get up here, and believe it or not, I actually planned this out today. I know what I'm going to say. Don't evaluate my character on the basis of this. Evaluate my character on the basis of the game about halfway through the game this afternoon, and we're blowing another lead, and, uh, and something comes out of my mouth that I didn't really plan on saying. That's, that's the time. There's an old story. I can't remember who heard this. Old story. Uh, J.P. Morgan, the millionaire, uh, there was a big sh- to-do, this millionaire get-together, and um, a lady by the name of Florence Morrow, she was hosting it, and there was this moment, this was back in the day, you know, the, the hundred and some years ago, when they would do these formal events, and J.P. Morgan, if you've never seen a picture of him, was known to have this huge schnoz, man. I mean, he just had this big old nose, And she was so afraid that when the little girls came in to curtsy in front of Mr. Morgan, that her little daughter, Anne, would would say something about his nose. Because you know how kids can be. They see something, they go, why, Mr. Morgan, do you have such a big nose? And so she she schooled them. She said, now, 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 girls, Anne, it's it's not kind to say something about someone's anatomy. So don't say anything about Mr. Morgan's nose. And, and, And they came in. They did their little curtsy, and then they walked out. And she was so relieved. She's sitting there next to J.P. Morgan, just so relieved that her daughter, Anne, didn't say anything about his schnoz. And then she turns to J.P. Morgan, and she says, "Uh, Mr. Morgan, would you like lemon or cream in your nose? (laughs) And that is such a great picture of, don't evaluate the words you say when you planned on saying them. These are called faux pas. Evaluate the words you say when it just came out. Because that is the true condition of your character. So look at these three questions that Paul challenges us through this text of Timothy. For example, is it argument for argument's sake? Some of you, you just, you, you always lose an argument. Why? Because you, realize the, you don't realize the only way to win an argument is don't have one. Just don't have one. That's the only way you win an argument. And most argumentative conversation reveals pride anyway. That's what it reveals. And so Timothy, he says, don't have anything, Timothy, to do with foolish and stupid arguments. This is talk radio. This is, oh my gosh, could you imagine? Twitter would go out of business if we took this seriously. Right here, Twitter would go out of business because you know they produce quarrels. It's not, it's not productive. Next one, is it kind? Harsh conversation usually reveals anger beneath the surface. When, when we were talking this week, the thing that I, that went from a preaching and leadership standpoint, number one thing that I regret is the times I've been harsh. And I got frustrated and my anger came out sideways. And so look what he says. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. That's why you can't lead and impact without working on your character because eventually your resentment will come out sideways. 
Because guess what? People won't behave the way you think they ought to behave. Can you believe people are that way? But they are. And you will resent people for not doing what you think they ought to be doing. Is it truthful? When there is a time, especially with the gospel, to speak the truth in love, is it truthful? Because when you're, when you're trying to please everyone, compromising conversation usually reveals an insecurity. I'm a three on the Enneagram, and one of the things about threes that I hate to admit that is so truthful is we know how to go into any environment and be what anybody needs us to be. Any of you threes identify with that? Like, we can, we can work a room, you know? It's an awful thing to admit in front of a thousand people that you're capable of doing that. But I am. And, I, and I, I've, you know, one of the things about my character is I know for years I tried, I tried to make people happy. You know, I tried to make people happy. And, and that reveals an insecurity is what it reveals. Is it truthful? Speaking the truth in love. I, um, I love what Paul says here. He says, opponents must be gently instructed. Isn't that good? In the hope that God will grant them repentance. God, you, do you change people? Is that what he's saying? You don't change anyone. That God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they'll come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. He says, Timothy, listen. You're the avenue where people will have conversations about Christ they never would have had if it weren't for you being in that office you being in that school, you being at that college. But you never, you never grind someone down into surrendering to the gospel. It's usually because you're gentle and truthful, and they begin to see how unique that is in our culture, and they say, hey, I want what you have. And one day the conversation comes up, and you're able to say, well, here's the, here's the person who changed my life. His name is Jesus, and I'd, I'd love to introduce him to you. And what I love about how he finishes this chapter with that is, gang, these are the stakes right here. I believe, and I, I'm, I think you, most of you have been, heard me speak enough to know, I'm not a prophet of doom. I'm not a hellfire and brimstone, scare people to heaven. Scare the hell out of people. I'm not that. One person got that. One person got that. Yeah, um, but, but listen, we live in a culture that has been taken captive. It's a diseased culture that we live in. It just is. It's just sick. Because I think it's been taken captive. And what's, what, what's God's plan? You say you've been a Christ follower for a year, two years, five years, 10 years, and you're not intentionally sharing him with someone? What are you doing? How have you missed this? If all God wanted to do was save you, he'd kill you the day he saved you. That's what he'd do. But he has more for your life than that. It's to be a useful instrument made holy, set apart for his purposes. I've recently, my dear friend Eric Nelson at Athletes in Action introduced me to a book that was actually a New York Times bestseller called uh, Strength to Strength by Arthur C. Brooks. And it's, it's how to leverage your life in the second half of life, after, after halftime, 
Now, I turned 61 this week, so I think I'm past halftime. I think I've entered the fourth quarter. You know, I think I've entered the fourth quarter, so we're, we're past halftime. I just want to tell you, those of you who are in your 30s right now, you're at halftime. I hate to tell you this, but you're, but you're at halftime. But he says something that is, that is just captivating to me, and, and I'm just I'm wrapping my mind around this, and it's really giving me direction on my next 10 years here. We recently began a succession plan, but it's how to navigate my role in the next 10 years. And one of the concepts that he has is the concept of the two intelligences, fluid intelligence and crystallized intelligence. And fluid intelligence is that innovative intelligence, creative. It comes up with ideas. And this is the intelligence that just lives in Silicon Valley. It comes up with these incredible ideas and, and, and innovations. And he says, what you'll notice is that almost all innovations happen with people under 40. You know why? Because through his research, he's realized that fluid intelligence declines quicker than you think it does. It does. Problem-solving abilities, literally a cognitive process where we solve problems and we... That, that, that our product, our company, our church is facing, it wanes much faster than we think it does. And in that regard, if you're, if you're just depending on fluid intelligence, you're past your prime. You're past your prime. This really gave insight to me. But he says, then there's crystallized intelligence. Crystallized intelligence is not innovation, it's integration of experiences. This is what we call wisdom. Where I can look back over life and say, it's going to go by so fast, kids. In your 20s, this. In your 30s, this. In your 40s, this. But here's what I've learned. And for me, why I feel like I need to pass on what I know as a player, as a parent, as a coach about performance is because of this. I have a lot of crystallized intelligence. I have a lot of stuff to pass on because I was a coach, I was a player, and I was a parent. I am a parent still. And... I have something to offer, to pass on to the next generation. And that's how I'm gonna spend my next 10 years is teaching and mentoring. And you gotta look at your life, Timothy, Timothette, and you gotta ask yourself, what do I have to give? Because that has to be leveraged for Jesus or we're in trouble, we're in trouble. So what we want you to do is we want you to pray about it. We want you to pray about who's that one person that I, could, that I could mentor? Who's that one person that I could introduce to Christ? Who's that one person that I could develop their leadership ability and I could pass on the things that I've learned and integrate them into a life of Christ? Right now, we're gonna, we're gonna take of something that it, it symbolizes the perfect human being. It does. The, the Greek word for complete or mature is teleos. When Jesus says, be complete as your heavenly father is complete, it's be teleos. And it means a person who's fully integrated, fully whole and mature. And sometimes it's translated perfect. It doesn't mean perfect as without flaw, but it's, it's, it's put together. You're, you know, we say that you're put together. And when you see a man for love hanging on a cross and in love says, Father, 
Forgive her. Forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. That's teleos. That's teleos. That's, that's what a perfect human being looks like. So today, would you do a little character work before you leave? Would you pause, maybe come up and take of the bread and the juice and go back to your seat and say, Jesus Christ, be formed in me. Would you be formed in me? I know the goal line. The goal line is to be able to love as if you've never been hurt. Oh my gosh. To hang on a cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't, that, that's the goal. Would you do that today before you leave? We invite you, he invites you to do that. You don't have to be perfect already because we're strong in his grace, right? Let's pray. So, Father, this is the work you're doing in us. The work of carrying on to completion Jesus in us until the day of Christ. Our goal today is that we walk out of here strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus our Lord strong in the grace. The most efficient fuel the human being will ever know is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And if we have an ounce of that fuel, that we will pass it on to someone else. Father, do your work. In Jesus we pray always. Hopefully, like Jesus, we pray always. And all of Southbrook said... Amen. See you next week, everybody. See you next week.